Welcome to the Circuit Clouds podcast, the official podcast of United League Baseball, purveyors of fine fake baseball since 2003, on the eve of the three-year anniversary of the restart. Um, This is something I just looked up recently because I've been renewing websites and such. If you count November 18th as the day that the new website was, was kicked off, November 18th, 2019, so it's been three years now, and we've managed to crank out a full decade of fake baseball almost exactly the last three years. So happy anniversary for everyone who has rejoined us. And we have a special guest with us, one of our longtime GMs from the San Francisco Spiders, Jeff Tanoli. Is that correct? Tanoli? Is that how it's pronounced? That is correct. All right. Just so you know, for 10 years, I was pronouncing it in my head, Tanol, until That's I heard pretty, it. That's pretty frequent. So thanks for being with us, Jeff. Nice to have you. You're. I, we looked at the list. You're the longest tenured GM who's not yet been on the podcast so we figured now is your shot and your spiders made the playoffs this year so what better time to have you on the podcast so welcome Jeff thanks appreciate it and as usual we have uh St. Louis Maroons GM Glenn Reed hello Glenn yo 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 and back after a couple uh of episodes away with we we have Lance Mueller GM of the Havana Leones hello Lance hello everyone am I saying that right it's Lance yeah, yes. Not Lan- yes. Lan- not Lancy. Oh, and a lot of people do say Lancy. A lot of people do say that. All right. But to know it's actually just Lance. Okay, he is, okay. uh, I guess, silent. All right. So, so f- I guess before we get into the questions, tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up and how you got into baseball. And uh, I grew up in Seattle, born and raised there. Lived there until I went away to college in Oregon. Even moved back there for a few years afterwards. Um, met my wife there in college. And uh, we spent some time in the Bay Area where I ran into the Glenn character uh, in the 90s when she was a grad student. And now we've ended up in Ithaca, New York, because she's a professor here at uh, Cornell. Um, And I am a freelance writer working mainly for financial companies, writing investment commentaries and annual reports. Exciting. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Pardon me. (laughs) And we have a uh, and we have a 20 year old son. That that makes sense. Several of us who have kind of college-age kids. Exactly. Quinn, right? Yep. The, the bastard who won the 1976 World Series. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did that on autopilot. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that, I mean, that's he, the only guy. I mean, that's standing between uh, Eric and an additional uh, World Series title, bro. So Quinn Quinn did something there. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was Manhattan. Yeah. He yeah. inherited a pretty damn good team, as I recall. And just yeah, I mean, we, we have to give him like half an asterisk and give Eric half an asterisk. Like, yeah. You'll notice in like, the in yeah. the clouds, I mentioned Manhattan winning titles. I don't say, uh, I don't mention Eric, but um, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and the bastard knocked me out in the semis, too. That's right. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yes, No that is respect right. for his father. Oh, my God. Yes. Dude. So yeah, we could After, was that the year my team won the president's cup and then got bounced in the, uh, the 76, 76? Yeah. Yeah. I think I so. Think, that was that epic. Yes, like it, it was a seven game series. The last one was extra innings. Yes. And Pete Rose made two errors in the 13th oh. inning. <laughs> Pete Rose was my very first pick when I joined the league. Really? Wow. Yeah, he was, I had the, I, I inherited the number one pick and it was yep. Pete Rose. Right. Right. So we're jumping a bit, uh, jumping ahead oh of ourselves God. a bit here, but those are some great stories we'll touch on. So, uh, so you grew up in Seattle, but then moved to the Bay Area, and then so were you always a baseball fan? Like, what were your what were your sports like growing up or hobbies? 
Yeah, I was pretty big sports fan. My dad was a big baseball guy. He grew up playing ball, played all the way up to the junior college level. There's some potentially suspect story that he got a minor league offer from the Pirates in the late 50s, but no one has been able to corroborate that. So I'm not really sure if it ever happened. But anyway, he was into baseball. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and he was always, he was coaching, uh, you know, like American Legion ball and stuff like that, even before I was born up in Seattle. So he's always been a baseball guy. And so that was kind of a lot of the way we bonded actually growing up was, was, uh, was through baseball. I was never very good at as a player, but I really got into it. And unlike him, he, he just loved the game. I really got into the stat side of it too, which, you know, is kind of now playing out and, you know, it, it's perfect for things like fantasy baseball and fake fantasy baseball. But yeah, one of my first baseball memories as a kid was I was watching the 75 world series. I was eight, I think and my dad was working late. I was watching that. That's the it was the game six, the Carlton Fisk home run game, and you get to the you know it's like 8 p.m. on the West Coast, and it ends the ninth inning, and they're going to extra innings. My mom's like, "Go to bed." I'm like, "What?" But no, I had to go. So um, my dad had gotten me this transistor radio, and so when I got into bed, I turned it on and found the game and started listening to the extra innings thing. And then he comes home, finds me awake, and says, "What are you doing, still awake?" I say, "Dude, extra innings." And so he lets me get up, and we end up going and watching the rest of the game, and actually get to see then the the Fisk Homer live. Oh, wow, that's huge. that's a great story. Wow, that's incredible. One of my favorite uh, series, I guess you could say. Of that one and the '91 World Series, I think are my favorite two World Series. That was the first one you watched. That that was yeah. your, first, your first introduction to the World Series. Yep. On, on television was something. Well, at least a, as I remember, it's distinctly possible. I watched some other ones when I was younger, but just don't remember right, right. it at all. Yeah. So how? Were you a Mariners fan then? Or this, no, this is before the Mariners, right? Yeah. So um, that was a 75 World Series. Mariners came in in 77. Right, yeah, right. I, mean, I, jumped, I jumped on the bandwagon for the uh, the local team. Right, right. Still a Mariners fan, as much yeah. as you can be one. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so when you moved to the Bay Area, did you then become a Giants fan or A's fan? Or did you stick I did. It kind of became so I decided the Mariners were my AL team and the Giants could be my NL team because we went to a lot of games at the stick. And... Uh, I don't know if no, I think I moved away before they built the one that's in the city. It, I mean, it has a different corporate name these days. I don't remember which one. AT&T, Pac-Bell, Oracle. What's it now? I think it's still Oracle Park. All right. All right. Yeah, Pac-Bell, though. That's, it's always Pac-Bell, right? Yeah, it's like the Cleveland Stadium is always the Jake. You know, I can't, it doesn't matter who's the current corporate sponsor. I'm always going to remember it that way. So, yeah, definitely became a Giants fan. What really. Jeff didn't mention is that um, we the company we worked for had season tickets. And so Jeff was my boss. Okay. So imagine like the two of us two like derelict baseball fans and the company has season tickets, but people were afraid to use them. Well, number one, the giants weren't any good in that, that time. Right. Probably. Right. But also people didn't want to, I think, right. People didn't want to be like, Oh, I'm taking a day off work to go. So the tickets would always be available. So the two of us would always go up there. I mean, we saw so many free games, dude. That was, that was awesome. amazing. That was a yeah. That was brilliant. And they weren't so, bad then. I mean, they had bonds in in the pre steroid era. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. This that was right. That's right. Mid nineties. Yeah. When they yeah. were good, but not really winning winning pennants yet, or right. kind of maybe intermittently or something like that. Well, they were always up against the Braves in the NL West, and the Braves were making like every playoff series throughout the entire decade. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you met Glenn. You hired Glenn, right? I did. You hired Glenn. And then how, how long did you guys work together? And like, how close did you guys work together? Like, was it a small, like a small company or how did that work? Yeah. I mean, it got bought by a bigger company not long after Glenn joined, um, but we were a pretty small working group. So we were always working together and hanging out. And I think we worked together for four or five years before I moved away, but we kept, we kept working. 
I, I became a freelancer and started working for my former company. And so Glenn and I were always kind of hanging out at least uh, online in some way, um, even after I left. And I don't remember how he reached out to me to get me into this, but I mean, he knew you guys were looking for an owner and he knew I was a baseball and stats guy. And so it seemed like a pretty good fit. And Yeah. Weren't, weren't you in a, like a rotisserie league? I want to say you were in a rotisserie baseball league or something around that time. Yeah. Too. I think I was playing that. And I think you and I were in that NBA league too. Yes. We had a bunch of, we had a bunch of fantasy leagues going on at the same yes. time. So that's right. Just, yeah. Why not add one more? Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if the UL doesn't work out, we can go to a fantasy. Uh, we can play an NBA hoop sim. <laughs> Maybe Jeff and I have a chance at that. Yeah. So I'm looking at the timeline. You So San Francisco was an expansion team in 55. Some guy named Nellis was the GM and, and they were pretty horrible for two. Oh, wait, wait, except 59. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, oh, this is a great, oh, we just found another topic. You, know, you can't dog Nellis. I mean, we have a series of podcasts called Picking Glenn's Emotional Scars. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, wait, losing season, losing season, horrible team. Wait a minute. What's this two asterisks? They won They won yeah. the league. Oh, yeah, 1959. Uh, that was the infamous um, Jim Lemon, 14th inning of 14th game inning. seven, yeah. Yeah. 14th inning home run. Um, yeah. yeah, one of two years you lost. I think you lost in 57 and 59 and basically won every other year for there for like two decades. But um, – <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. Yeah, 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 yeah that was right. Yeah, yeah. So Nellis, yeah. But the spiders yeah. were horrible for several years. And then, as you said, you came in in 63, which, by the way, in real time was 2006. So that I think it's right around the time when Vase came in the league. Um, and maybe Eric, I'm not sure. Right around there. You, the three of you guys all came in around the same time. Yeah. But as you said, your very first pick was Pete Rose, who you had for, on your team forever. Um, yeah, I might have kept him until he retired. I can't remember. Yeah, I but mean, he was he... never an, a meaningful player, you know, like in terms of the lineup, because he turned out to be barely an average major leaguer, unlike, you know, in real life. He just he, he had decent numbers, I think, when I drafted him, but he never he never kind of got fully cooked. Right. Yeah. A career 263 careers. His career OPS was under 700. I think he was injured a lot or he got downgrades or something, but. Yeah, yeah, he was always just a marginal guy. He probably about at seventh or eighth in your lineup, but yeah, you well, had him. And he probably spent a little bit of time in AAA as he got a little older too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like you had him from '63 to '67. But again, that famous, you know, as I mentioned, the third anniversary of the website. So I was trying, I was going through my uh, my email trying to figure out, okay, when I knew it was around November that we did the restart in in 2019, and I was looking at. Um, exactly you know when the website started and things like that and that's when i saw some references to the 75 semi-series or, or was it 76 um when yeah you faced your your son in the in the semi-series and you lost um that game seven because of two pete rose errors in, in the same inning in the seventh game which is not suspicious at all right for no for not at all rose, right um uh yeah that was i hope pete made a ton of money betting against the spiders i'm, I'm on sure that game. he did yeah and uh that was a loss to manhattan um uh which of course was eric holthouse's team for every other year except that year and that was the beginning of the four-year uh of the four-year um dynasty there so um so you said you so you mentioned the the rotisserie rotisserie league you were in and the and the the nba fantasy thing what other like when did you get into out of the park baseball was that were you already into that 
before 20 were you in other online leagues before no, joining the ul this is pretty much all i do as far as uh of out of the park goes i you know glenn brought me in and i really enjoy this league it's i have a good time but it hasn't inspired me necessarily to join other leagues got too many other kind of things going on and just you know in terms of time and everything so this seems like just the right fit for me and you know everybody in this league is totally great well i wouldn't go that far well okay fair enough it sounds good <laughs> but i did play you know i played a little bit of like i remember playing a little bit of stratomatic back in the old days um did you do but, uh, car- cards and dice yeah yeah i remember doing it with a friend of mine who was less of a stats guy but just kind of loved the idea of it but i don't think we played and we didn't do about a lot of any online stuff like i know you guys were running the the, the micro league stuff and all that from the 80s and early 90s on right, i remember right. running a i remember running a fantasy league in the early 90s where i was doing data entry by hand in excel and printing and mailing by you know physically mailing the, the standings to everyone awesome you know we should bring that back like yeah. analog analog fantasy <laughs> league you know <laughs> was it a dot matrix printer i think so now that would be sweet man and i can't wait i can't, can't wait to get the mail next week to see how my team's doing <laughs> exactly all right. So you mentioned a little bit. So you were a Mariners fan. Like, do you have do you have any favorite teams or players growing up? Like, did the did Carlton Fisk become one of your favorite players because <laughs> of that World Series memory, or Harold Reynolds maybe, or uh, I don't know who, who. I'm trying to think of some early Mariners. There weren't many. Maybe Langston. He was one of the early. Yeah, Alvin Davis early actually stars. was the uh, was the first guy I remember that I really was him and Anna. Maybe this is a reason why I still have Dan Meyer on my spiders team for the last few years is because he was kind of a big guy in those early days. But I don't, I don't know if I ever, I've never really been kind of a favorite player kind of guy. Like there's been no one player or a couple of players that have been my favorites. I kind of consider myself more broadly a baseball fan. So I don't tend to glom onto teams or players or anything as much, but you know, people bring up players in the past. I'm like, Oh yeah, I love that guy. But, I, you know, there's just nothing off the top of my head that I can think of is like, you know, this is my favorite player or anything. So it's interesting that you don't glum on to players in real life. And yet, <laughs> and I yet, totally do. <laughs> I totally do in the UL. You're, you're probably of all the GMs in the league. You're like the buy and hold and just you, you draft guys, you hold guys very when you make a trade. It's a huge deal because it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this guy's moving. So tell us a little bit about your 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 GM philosophy. It is more of a style thing. I don't consider myself much of a wheeler dealer, even, you know, in other fantasy leagues and stuff, I don't make a lot of trades. You know, I kind of draft a team and that's mostly what I, you know, mostly what I kind of run with. And so I don't know if it's, you know, like I'm afraid to make a mistake in a trade or I don't know. I just, uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm just not a big, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to entertain trades. I don't feel like I got to drive a hard bargain and win them. I'm happy to make, you know, fair deals. But I don't know. I just kind of, I guess I get into what I've got and I don't tend to think about shuffling the deck very often. So it's probably a confidence thing, you know, with uh, my ability to make good trades versus versus not. People come to me, we often, you know, I'm often ready, willing in, to make trades and stuff. Glenn and I have made a few trades. When everybody else has kind of come to me, we talk through a few things, but I'm not an initiator particularly. Got it. Well, you you probably you know you're you're a keen observer, so you see what what Charlie and I are doing, and you're like, whoa, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be I don't want to be an active trader and run my team into the ditch. Very sensible middle ground there. Just draft guys, hold on to them, see how they do. Yeah, arguably. Well, I mean, when you're drafting Fergie Jenkins, right? When you're drafting Fergie Jenkins, Bob Moose back to back, right? That was consecutive years. That was the. I mean, that was the. I mean, your whole team like that. That that. 
powered your World Series and all the playoff runs we're talking about, right? So, yeah. But but like you exactly. said, when you but Pete Rose and <laughs> Roger well, Nelson, I don't know who I'm looking at. The guys you drafted, I'm Fred Newman. I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, Fred Newman. He was like the number two pick or something like that. In the yes, six, one of yeah. the years yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, and he was three. like, uh, his potential was huge, but he was way undercooked. And he got like injured in his first year in AAA and got downgraded. Like all his ratings got cut in half, basically. I'd never heard of the guy for, in real life. I had no idea who he was. Yeah, but he ended up being a complete washout. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, love that guy. <laughs> that, was, that was the 64 draft. That was a pretty weak class. Sam McDowell was number one. Dick Allen, he Dick Allen was good. He he turned I, out. I think I I got McDowell in a trade at some point too. So I had both of the top two picks, and they were both complete washouts. Sixty-five, you got Rudy May with the number two pick. He turned out all right. Tug McGraw, he was your reliever for a good ten years. He closed for most of the sixties for me, but the, my team was never very good, so he didn't really get a lot of opportunities. <laughs> yeah, and then again, you had the number two pick in sixty-six, and you got Fergie Jenkins. And then 68 was Bob Moose. That was when things started to turn around. Moose wins rookie of the year in the Cy Young in his, you know, his first year, and it all goes up from there. 66, you had a winning season, finished third in the West. 68, you had a winning season, and finally broke through in, in that 74 year where you won, won the World Series. And, and then had a pretty string. That's when they, that's when you, you started winning every odd, every even year, right? 74, 76, 78, and 80. Um, you mean playoffs? All, all even was all related to depth too. Was you know I had a really good lineup and a really good pitching staff. Well, or I had a really good pitching staff and a good enough lineup, and that was kind of always the. It was sort of the um, playing to my park. Have good pitching and defense and just enough hitting to win a, a bunch of three to two games, and but I didn't have there wasn't you know my my you know depth wise it was pretty much you know super like wafer thin pretty much I didn't have a whole lot of of players behind there. So every odd year, I seem to get a huge injury. Like Terry Forster went down one year. I lost my closer. Jim Rice had basically a career ending injury. Um, at least in terms of uh, his ratings. His ratings. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he went from a borderline hall of famer to a quadruple a guy overnight, <laughs> basically. So, so yeah, those kind of injuries always, those ended up resulting in those years when I didn't make the playoffs. And then, you know, when I was healthy, the team was usually pretty good and we managed to get into the playoffs. I'm sorry, dude. I've been laughing like uncontrollably the entire time because of the way for thin. I give you major credit for dropping the Monty Python reference <laughs> into, the, into the discussion. Dude, that was awesome. Well, your team, I awesome. mean, you've been you're a perennial pitching powerhouse I'm, from 1970 to 1980, 11 years in a row, you were a top five pitching team. So that was, you know, including a, you know, a couple times you were the number one pitching team. That that's the that's the good news. The bad news is all of those eleven years you were also a bottom five offensive team, right? So again, it's it's hugely your ballpark. But you always had one or two mashers. You always had one or two guys who hit like thirty five home runs, or usually it was only one guy who hit like thirty five home runs. And then <laughs> usually only one, it, right? And 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 he produced like a third of your offense, and then the rest of it. And you had you had Brock. He was a good. Um, you know, base stealing threat on base guy. Um, but yeah, it seemed like you always had trouble scoring runs. I'm such a 
you know, to a certain extent, I'm kind of a money ball value guy. Like I love like sneaky, good players who I get really cheap and they end up being good contributors, but you can't build an entire team out of that. And I think that's, you know, what I was kind of doing in a lot of ways. And so I never really had, well, I had Fergie and Moose. I never really had a really, you know, a stud offensive player anywhere. So Lee May looked good somehow. It looked like a, you know, he was like my best guy for a lot of the seventies. He was the guy who I think he hit 50 home runs one year, but um, you know, and I was always kind of just getting by offensively. And I'm not really sure why I haven't been good at building offenses. I think maybe just, again, it does, there is something related to the park. It's a pitcher's park, keeping the ball in the yard and, and, uh, and keeping scoring down has always been good. And so the offense has always been sort of a second or even third priority sometimes. George Foster. I mean, come on, bro. George Foster is one of the best players of the, whatever the decade of the seventies, right. In, in UL terms, he was a gold glove center fielder and he had 30 homers a year. Right. Exactly. But he, he had the like 225 average to go with it. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you, I'll give you that. <laughs> he was, he, he, now I have, now I have Rob Deere, who's basically the same guy. Yeah. Except, well, yeah. Well, without the glove. Exactly. He's more of yeah. a statue. <laughs> the ball hits him. <laughs> but, but you had also Tugboat, Thurman Munson. Something happened to him, right? It's another, oh, wasn't that an injury man. thing too? Was he, was he, was he a, a first, was he like a, a, an overall number one pick? Uh, he was 1970 first. He was the third pick in 1970. Third yeah. pick. Okay. Yeah. That dude, I think drafted was like a nine, four, four or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he was great. He was hitting 300 every year. He's a 10 behind the plate. You know, like yep. I said, with Foster in center, we had up the middle defense set. Yep. Yep. And then he got some monster downgrade in the late 70s. And suddenly he's like a 722 or something. And he's more or less useless than at the, at the plate. And I think he even got a defensive downgrade, too. Yeah. Well, that, that was a another, another guy you On got, the plus side, he's still alive in the UL. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. I've disabled the, uh, the plane crash uh, option. Uh, in, in the in the online league settings um dude that's my favorite thing about moose is he died in 1976 i think and here he is rocking it in 86 and still putting up cool, huge yeah. numbers it... who's the other guy bostock lyman bostock like he was like shot in his car oh, in chicago yeah, or something yeah, in real life yeah, in the, in yeah, the 70s right um another guy you drafted so you you had in in 1974 you took jim rice with the sixth overall pick and he had a monster rookie year, 92 RBIs, hit 316. And that's the year you actually won the World Series for the first time, 74. So a similar thing happened in 66 with, um, that was the Jenkins year, right? So you, you a couple of times you struck gold with these first round picks. They have awesome rookie years and it leads you to a winning season in 74. The case was uh, actually all the way to the to the UL title. But Rice was another guy. He was really good the first couple of years and then he must have had some injuries or downgrades because you know he just kind of he just kind of petered out after about four years. Yeah, one led to the other. He had a big injury and immediately went from like an eight seven seven or something like that to sixes across the board, and it really changed who he could be, basically. But the thing about that seventy four World Series is that uh, Moose had a season ending injury in the middle of the year, and he missed he missed the entire series. It was a year that Jenkins basically put the team on his back and, and rolled him through the World Series. And Moose and Jenkins, you had that you've always had two or three really dominant starting pitchers. Yeah, I think my current team is start, starting to show echoes of the the teams from the seventies. Got Jose squared at the top of the you know the top of the rotation. You got Glenn Davis is like the second coming of Lee May. Got pretty good defenders everywhere, so it's kind of similar. I think the offense still has a long way to go, even with the weak offenses of the '70s. Uh, this one is still uh, 
not there yet. Yeah, but it's definitely on the up with Glenn Davis, Daryl Strawberry, Luis Aguayo, uh, and and now Rob Deere. So you've got you know and, it's definitely and a full season of Barry Larkin next year should be good too. Yeah, yeah, totally for sure. Oh my Dude, god, I think Barry Larkin had two produced two war in like one month or however long you have. <laughs> I, I you brought him up without mentioning like it. And I brought him up on August first without saying without any sort of fanfare, and he had yeah he had a huge uh, huge couple of months. Oh my God, he crushed, dude. So, and then Steiny, you have Steinbach, who's not fully cooked yet, right? So, yeah, he may end up developing in the majors. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the future is quite bright. Yeah. Well, it's funny because if you talk about not being a, a trader and not trading a bunch, but then when you circle back to those guys, the guys you're mentioning, a lot of those guys are actually acquired through trades. Like, you know, Deer was, uh, I mean, it was a pick, but the pick came, became, pick became, came off of a trade. It was a right. Cleveland trade for Rob Deere. I mean, uh, Glenn Davis, also a pick from a trade. You know, it's like there's – you look back, you don't trade much. I mean, I feel like I feel like in your career as a manager, I feel like I've traded more as the Havana manager in the last three seasons than you've done your entire <laughs> career. <laughs> but if you, go back and, if you go back and look at the trades, it's like there are key players that came out of those trades that you know really helped you in this, this season. I mean – yeah, it was Glenn Davis. There's Rob Deere. Those guys came from picks. There's, I think, Atlee Hamaker who helped this year. There's, there's just guy, you know, those arms. And I mean, there's little guys. And I mean, uh, you know, Akendo, who's got Akendo, like he came out of a pick from a trade. You don't, tr- you know, you don't trade a ton, but it feels like when you're trading and then using those picks you get and using those players you get, it's like it's feels like it's it's paid off for you. Yeah, if you're not going to trade very much, you might as well make them count when you do. I guess so. Yeah, I'm looking at the the, the only recent high picks that you've traded. You, you drafted Gary Lucas in the first round of 1980, and you traded him for Atlee Hamaker, so that worked out pretty well because he's been kind of a fixture in your rotation. And then that, that course, was a Pete, right? I, th- I think Lucas has been pretty good for Pete too. I think it was a pretty yeah, good no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 no yeah. doubt there. And then and then you drafted. Um, uh, Lenny Dykstra, and then swapped him for Strawberry, so that worked out pretty well as well. I mean, also worked yeah. out for worked out for Glenn, but um, that that gave you some power that you were lacking. Yeah, I mean that Lucas trade landed you Hammaker and Terry Leach in the bullpen, and then Ellie's first round pick, which ended up being Glenn Davis. Well, the funny thing, so dude, the funny thing is that you're talking about Jeff's drafts. We started out by goofing on Jeff's drafts because, like, right, Pete Rose. <laughs> Fred Newman, whoever they are, or whoever Fred Newman is. But dude, every time we do a draft review, I always say to myself, I, mean, I always remember saying like, whoa, Jeff got this guy here. And I always am talking about how great your draft is. But but in retrospect, it's true that a lot of your guys don't develop, like Pedro Guerrero, right? I mean, it was another one. I thought like, oh my God, this guy's talent is incredible. But he's been a bust of sorts, right? Yeah, I don't even know where he is these days. Yeah. And then I don't, I can't remember all the names, but again, I just remember like your late round picks. I always remember thinking like, man, that's a good score, you know? And then, and then a lot of them haven't really developed though. I don't know what well, the, uh... All those ones in the seventies, I was tend to be picking in the latter half of the first round. And yep. most yep. of the guys who are fully cooked are long gone by then. So it's, a, it, you know, it's always a matter of taking the best guy who's either a guy who I need in a position or, you know, a guy who's got the best potential, but who knows if he's ever going to get there. And yeah, I have had a little bit of bad luck with with guys uh, not not getting there. More recently, I think most of the guys that I've gotten have made, you know, I've really kind of lived up to what they were, their draft potential. 
during the you know stretch of the early 80s when I was really terrible. Yeah, one of them is uh, Brian Clark, who I think he's been in your rotation pretty regularly. Right? Oh, was that a- was another really sneaky good guy. You know, he was like a four nine six, had a three stamina, but you could get five good solid innings. I think yeah, it was yeah. either eighty three or eighty four. He had like a two and a half ERA. He was like in the top ten, um, but he has a terrible record because he never gets. <laughs> I don't leave him in long enough to get wins, but when he loses, he definitely gets them. So Fred Newman won twenty games. He won twenty games in nineteen sixty six. Nineteen sixty six. Yeah. Love me some Fred Newman. That guy was awesome. Yeah. So there you go. 66. Yeah. 66. That was the the uh the, the uh the first the first winning year. Yeah, well, yeah, there you like, go. Uh, because the Fred Newman pick paid off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he had the double. He had two 20-game winners under the age of 24. Fergie Jenkins and Fred Newman. Fred goddamn Newman. So one of them yeah. becomes the Hall of Famer and the other one just kind of faded away but um he's yeah, a high yeah. school gym teacher in peoria right exactly yeah he must have had a career ending injury or something because because then the next year he was 10 and 12 and then uh and then he just dropped off like he yeah, nothing yeah and there's and no history double a yeah something like that oh maybe he did have a career ender that sounds familiar that's why i hate pitchers dude right. i mean yeah. all of them the, every pitcher for one of the reasons one yeah, of the pictures. Um, you, you remember that day you went to the mail, you opened the envelope, and it said Fred Newman had, had you know, <laughs> broke his arm. Like, oh man! <laughs> Played by post. There you Played go. Post yeah. exactly. Brian Clark, I think. Yeah, you're talking about Brian Clark, and you know some of your recent uh, kind of recent success stories. I guess. I love Brian Clark for no re- no good reason really. He was like he was like a four nine six. I think he's on a minimum salary or was, and uh, yeah, he just he was he was really good for a couple of years there. He got a couple of downgrades recently, and he's kind of become my swing man. But he was a great fifth starter for a while. One of those sneaky good value guys that I seem to like. His record doesn't doesn't look that good. His ERAs are really good, but you know, just classic lack of run support. Right, five and eight, three point three four, uh, a few years back. Um, just and one year, the year after that, he was two two point four ERA. 33, exactly. 33 starts so okay so here's, so here's a question for lance and glenn 2.4 era in 33 starts what should your win loss record be <laughs> on average it should be what like 15 and 7 or something yeah, like that 15 right? and 10 something like that something yeah. like that right? yeah yeah uh this guy was 6 and 11 <laughs> with a 2.4 era his run support must have been negative you know well, there's <laughs> There's two things going on there. One is, yes, my offense was terrible throughout all of the early 80s. But the other part is that because he has short stamina, he was barely getting four or five innings. So sometimes yeah. he'd pitch in a game in which we won, but he didn't get the win. Ah, so right. he's, always, yeah, yeah. he's always getting penalized for, for not being able to go yeah. deep in games. Okay, so 33 starts. Or, or, yeah, how many said 30 starts? How many innings did he throw that year? 180. I mean, dude, 180 That's more than innings. I would have thought. That's awesome. That is so, I mean, dude, again, those guys, that's just so much value, dude. That's why, yeah, anyway, my whole team is like three stamina guys. <laughs> just because, that's right. Because, well, you, you, we had a trade where you got, I traded you Guy Hoffman and you turned him yes. into a top line starter for a couple of years. I'm like, shit, why didn't I do that? <laughs> yes. That's why, that's why I hate relief pitchers. Because <laughs> I trade them away and they turn into, you know, bad starters. Exactly. Well, then somehow I don't feel as bad when they suffered the career-ending injury. It's like, ah, oh, he was just a stupid reliever anyway, you know? <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, but yeah, there you go. So what's this guy's name? I don't even know if I've heard of this guy. Who, who are we talking about? Brian Clark. Brian Clark, okay. I've never He's heard of on... him in real life. Again, another guy like yeah. Fred Newman, who I don't know who he is, but. I'm look. I look up stuff like that. I don't know if I mentioned this in a you know somewhere in Slack or whatever. But there was a guy who was like my a utility infielder for me for years, and it turns out he went to my high school. And I don't think what, my high really? school has, has any other That's major awesome. league players. So I, I watched the guy for years just because he was he was uh plus he was he was a pretty useful utility infielder. But he he you know he didn't have much of a major league career, but I kept him around for like a decade. What was the name of your high school? What was the name of your high school? We can look this Shoreline. Up Shoreline. Shoreline High School in South Side of Seattle. Mike Kelleher? My oh Mick Kelleher. Yeah, that was it. Mick Kelleher. There you go. It all Mick Kellehertz. That's awesome. <laughs> you got this guy, and only later did you realize that he went to your high school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Well, I think I saw the Seattle, you know, like uh Washington name and I looked him up for some reason and found that he went to my high school, but you know, predated me by like 20 years or whatever, but so we mentioned that you're not a big trader. So I, I went to uh, the trustee uh, trades tab in total UL. So at the top of that, I, I kind of track trades by year. It's not complete yet, but I looked at your, so I have the trades through 1982, which is conveniently your first um, 20 years at the helm in 20 years. Let's guess how many trades Jeff has made in 20 first 20 years, whoever comes closest Gets a bagel next time we get bagels. Oh, That's I actually know the answer. It's 21. I made 21 trades. 21 trades? Close. No, I would say like 10. 10 trades in 20 years? Jeff, you have any? Uh... Well, shit, I'll take 15 minutes somewhere in the middle. No, it's actually 27. Hmm? 27 oh, trades. Well, I didn't want to go over. <laughs> oh, of course not. Oh. No. That's the right why strategy would... right there. Why would, you... <laughs> right. why would you want to do that? Right. You went nuts in 1965. You made five trades in 1965, including including a kind of a blockbuster at the time. Harmon Killebrew was like the mashing first baseman when you when you took over the team and you traded you, you traded him for Willie McCovey, who became one of your I mean, he was one of your star players, I guess, in the late 60s. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I make that deal with Glenn. Uh, no, it was with Atlanta, so I don't know if it was fully if it was fully fry or. Oh yeah. Well, what year? What year was that? What yeah, it could have been, could have been Glenn. <laughs> yeah, sixty five. Yeah, I think so, dude. I think that was me. Yeah. I remember us making a multiplayer deal that involved some big names. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, must have been it. Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, I I managed Atlanta. Yeah, sixty five, sixty. Yeah, starting sixty five. Yeah. So there you go. Were you also involved with the Colo? Did I trade you Colavito at some point? Yes. To Atlanta later. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Actually, I think yep. any Yale trade that did involve Glenn, the answer is yes. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's not, you know, I mean, come on. But, but I mean, any huge multiplayer trade. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But Jeff, look at that, dude. So you're telling me 65, you made a huge trade. 66, you had a huge year, right? Is that what we, we established? 66 was a big year for San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And then Probably my best early year. So right, there's yeah, something exactly. to that, bro. Yeah. So I guess we're trying to convince you into trading more. I think yeah. Come out of your shell, here. bro. Come out of your shell. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. See, Yeah. William McCovey had a hundred and five, 30, 31 home runs, 105 RBIs that year. Pete Rose actually hit was decent. 
um, 3.9 war, 78 RBIs. Roger Repose, the Repose man. There you go. Was your center fielder. And of course, you had Brock on that team. Billy Williams, another pretty good. Oh, pretty I forgot I had Billy Williams. Yeah. And then those 220 game winners, Fergie Jenkins and Fred Newman. And of course, Fred Newman. <laughs> Ron Klein. Of course. Louis Tiant, who was 12 and 21 on a, oh. on a winning team. <laughs> that Well, that is, that's the Tiant's line looked like that every year. Yeah. <laughs> 310. Nothing but, nothing but complete games. 39 starts, 310 innings. <laughs> oh my that, was God. The, that was the four the four man rotation year right yeah yeah must have been yeah well uh, how bad do you have to be to to, to be 12 and 21 on a winning team oh, you know? for, for you, i mean uh, uh Tiant was great in the clubhouse though <laughs> is that what it said <laughs> all is those that, cigars yeah. and right i'm sure he was yeah you got him in the mccovey trade you got mccovey sam mcdowell trade, yeah. gene alley and you traded yeah you traded uh glenn killebrew Pavlicic, the catcher, he he was pretty good. He was. Um, yeah. But yeah, it looks like you've had a lot of bad luck with but player development slash injuries, like right when your team starts to get good, like when your pictures goes <laughs> down or something bad yeah. happens. It happens to everybody, I guess. Well, yeah, some some of us more than others. <laughs> no, but that does I think you're right though. I mean, no, but to your credit, I mean, or that's a good observation about like because I went back and looking at the draft history and trying to think of like, oh, you know, um, um hackman leonard was one of the guys i distinctly remember discussing the podcast saying like that was like an incredible score for like the last pick in the third round or whatever but to your point i guess you're you you're always not always but um you tend to be drafting for potential right and so that's why we could look at a guy like pedro guerrero and go oh my god you know the sky's the limit <laughs> but in reality the limit was like two feet off the ground because he never realized any of that potential right so yeah. So that, well, he, he and Hackman tale. got downgraded pretty hard, pretty fast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's a cautionary tale of sorts. Yeah. It, it looks like the sky when you're when you're at, at the bottom of a very <laughs> a very deep canyon, <laughs> and you think it's the sky when it's just the it's just yeah. ground it's just ground level. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You've got three guys on the squad who have seventy or more stone bases. Like, was that by design or is that just, did you sort of luck into that? Because I don't know if there's another team out there that's got guys who can, can run like that. Well, it's probably going to be four once Larkin gets a full season, too. He stole, like, 25 bags in two months. So he's going to be he's going to be there, too. It wasn't intentional. I was, you know, most of these guys are, this is the one thing that if you look back at all the 70 Spiders teams that they didn't have was a table setter in any way. I mean, Lou Brock accepted. You know, there was, I really never had anybody at the top of the lineup who could get on consistently and was a base stealing threat and that kind of thing besides Brock. So now having Okendo and Butler and Larkin and, and even Strawberry, who gets on pretty okay. decently and swipes all those bags, it's a pretty good top four. And, and that's, I mean, that explains a little bit why Glenn Davis had 90 RBIs in the first half of the season. All those guys were getting on base at a 375 plus clip, stealing bases, always in scoring position. All he's got to do is put the ball in play and he's getting an RBI. Yeah. So no, this is this is new for me. Not not something that I think I've ever had in the twenty years plus years of spiders management. Do we see that your like OPS um, is out of line with your run scored? Like in other words, can we tell like how much value the stolen bases add? That's always one question I have. But having said that, though, I, I think I am kind of convinced, or I'm coming around to the speed idea. 
because I saw how it worked in our series. I mean, I don't really pay obviously much attention or any attention games within games, but, but because I had to like, look at it for our series, I actually saw like firsthand, holy shit, like this really matters. And then, um, and then, and then I played another series where I had guys on base constantly, or maybe I didn't even have guys on base constantly, I had guys on base sometimes, but there was no advancement. Right. So, so I, I think it, it was mostly Daryl Porter getting caught stealing. It looked like. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So there you go. So that's exactly, <laughs> that's what did it for me. Exactly. That's one, why you don't like it. Right. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. I hate, just like I hate pitcher injuries. I hate guys making outs on bases. So I'm like, dude, I'm never doing that. My guys are statues. But in, in, in Daryl Porter's defense, it was the cocaine. <laughs> dude, dude, I mean, you can't just you can't up. just stand in place for like three minutes. I mean, come on. <laughs> why is a fucking catcher? How is he getting thrown out on the bases, dude? Anyway, um, so dude, so I'm coming around to your view, bro. I'm starting to think that like that's my missing ingredient. You know, you think you're coming out of your Earl Weaver shell? Yes, and again, again, I have to give you credit, bro. You can you've convinced me. I've seen it work now, basically, right? So. So um, anyway, so uh, if it works, I guess credit to you. If it doesn't, then I curse if it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, you had 346 <laughs> steals, which is by far the most in in Spider's history. It, it's gone up a few just a few years ago. You were at 76, and then it <laughs> it's gone up like 100 a year the last three years. Um, and I think there's something to that because I think, you know, you mentioned, you use the term kind of sneaky good. So like stolen bases is one of these things. It's not factored. It, it, it's not, it doesn't count in total bases, which never made sense to me because total, how, how is that not, how do you, how can you call something total bases when you're not counting stolen bases, which is just like a free base, right? Um, so total bases are just adding up singles, doubles, triples, and homers. So it, that means it's also not really captured in, therefore it's not captured in OPS. So it's right. one of the, it's right. almost, it's almost like an intangible in, in the sense, it's kind of like a hidden st statistic in a way. So, but I think it definitely helps with the run production. Cause again, like you said, you're getting guys in, you're getting singles hitters that are suddenly in, in scoring position. Um, you know, and, and you're getting two stolen bases a game. That's like two free bases a game just from steals. Um, so, you know, the only thing, the only way that wouldn't help is if you had a massive number of caught stealing, right? If, if your stolen base percentage wasn't that good, but you only had, um, what is it? 98 uh, caught stealing. So your, your success rate is, what, what is that? 75% or something, which is pretty good. Yeah, pretty close. That sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Yeah, but he has yeah. some guys that are like 80. Strawberry, which again, I don't know how I, I mean, again, how I missed this trick. Strawberry is 80%. 80, he was 80 out of 100, 81 out of 101. So when I had him, he was, you know, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Right, right. I, I might have ticked up his base running aggressively. But... <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So I, so I take advantage of it, dude. I don't know if he's 10, 10, 10, but he's pretty close in terms of speed and stealing and all that stuff. So, yeah. And yeah, Akendo, and, here, yeah. Akendo and Butler and, and all those guys are the same too. And I even had Willie Wilson for a while. He's, he's going to be a free agent this year, but um, he's also a guy who could, who was stealing 75 bases a year while playing yeah, good yeah. defense and, right, and yeah. rarely getting on base. Led the league last year with 92 stolen bases and then had 90 the year before that. So, Which is amazing because his on base is something terrible. Like he 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 got a couple of downgrades. Two seventy nine on base. Two seventy nine on base, and then steals, 92 and he steals ninety steals. bases. Yeah, 
Wow. He must have stole first a few times. I think that's I'm the thinking only thing. so. Or as soon as he gets on first, he just takes off for second. But that is another thing to mention um, is that you had Willie Wilson was injured and was out the whole or half the season. And the center fielder you started the season with was injured and missed the, the entire season. So, so again, you made the playoffs with your third string center fielder essentially right yeah it's, it's mean, not the worst thing that mitch West, webster missed the season he was still a little underdeveloped and, and he was when he went down he was hitting like 190 or something i'm not sure he, he was going to be a good defender but i'm not sure he's going to be a, a meaningful offensive contributor so bringing willie in didn't really change that he's not much of an offensive contributor except for the speed and he's also a good defender but once both of them went down then i had to move brett <laughs> butler into center yeah yeah and he's like a four or five in center but he, that ended up being okay because then Rob Deere got into the everyday lineup, allowed him to hit 20, 25 homers for the season. And it actually was p- potentially better for my offense at the cost of some defense. Well, yeah. And Brett Butler had a 368 on base percentage and along with 79 stolen bases. So there you go. So yeah, yeah. he scored a bunch of runs. Right. So not, you know, for a third, third choice center fielder, it, it didn't, you know, it worked out pretty well. This <laughs> oh, is why yeah. he, was, he, he was already in the lineup. It was just a matter of where yeah. he was playing. Right. Exactly. He was much better and left. Right. So you, you had to move someone yet. So dear became so dear every day. You became the everyday left fielder. left fielder and you moved Butler over to center. So yeah. Here's actually a seven and left. He's not bad. Yeah. And he, oh, only, that's struck, good. he only struck out 109 times, which is pretty good oh. for him. You yeah, know what? Two hundred nine at bats. Three three thirteen. Only thirty three percent. That's not bad for him. He's like a forty yeah. percent strikeout guy. But yeah. whenever a contending team loses a guy like Durker, for example, or um, or pick a year when St. Louis loses a starting pitcher, right? Like, or yeah. even even not good teams. Like, I think we sometimes overemphasize like the negative effects of injuries because sometimes it's a it's a blessing in disguise because you get, you bring up this substitute guy and he ends up being better or, you know, it, it, it just changes things around and it does, the, the impact is not as bad as, as we originally thought. Well, I think Jeff was, I'm at air quotes, lucky, lucky to have, you know, Butler, who's a serviceable center fielder, you know. Well, sit, and the other thing, that, the other around. thing that happened this year was the, uh, was Riho went down in the, at the end of the first sim. Yes. And out of necessity, my swing man, Rick Honeycutt, gets bumped into the starting rotation, and suddenly he so overperforms his ratings. And he led the team in ERA. Yep, two point four. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Once once he pitched, you know, lights out for that month. When Riho came back, I bumped that dude Brian Clark, who had been struggling, to the swingman role, and I was going to roll with Honeycutt until he, you know, came back to earth, and he never did. And that was totally due to an injury. I'm pretty sure Honeycutt shut me out in the playoffs. I mean, not that that's an achievement anymore, but you know. dude, he's a four six eight. How do you get away? <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. How did that happen, bro? I signed him to a, two, a relatively cheap two year deal, and then we'll see how it goes. But I'm I'm not expecting. I'm expecting that was a career year right there. I'm not really sure. He's 31 or 32. Yeah, I'm not 31. optimistic. Yeah. Maybe he's the but next again, Dave Freisleben. You know, I'll I'll roll with him until he lets me down. Yeah, yeah, so that was a classic example. Like Riho went down and immediately. Well, first of all, I think at the beginning of the year, didn't we have San Francisco? They were like consensus, like fourth in the bottom or something like that, right? They were. Yeah, I didn't. Um, rate them I think very I think all. all the ratings had them improving, but not by much. Still in the bottom third or whatever. So then, yeah. when you lose Riho in the first month, it's like okay, well that's it. The season's over. It's a team that's picked to finish whatever twelfth or thirteenth, and they lose their ace. It's like no hope, right? 
But then, of course, things turned around pretty quickly. I mean, you start, you were 16, 11 in April, you were 16 and 12 in May, cooled off a bit in June and July, but then 16 and 12 again in August. Like, when did you think you had a shot? Like, like after that 16, 11 start in April, were you like, well, that's a nice month, but, you know, we're going to come down to earth and you lost Riho. Like, at what point in the season did you think that this, this team that was kind of on the fringe of the wild card race would actually like make a run at it? Pretty much never. I mean, I thought, you know, I knew this was going to be a better season, you know, after four or five years of 60 something wins, I was bringing up all the prospects this year. I even held some of them back last year because of the 86 draft and wanted to kind of suck. And there was no reason to bring them up, but this year they were all coming up. They're all fully cooked. So there was going to be some improvement. I thought maybe 500 is the ceiling. Um, so whenever we got up to that hot start, I mean, I just figured that there was going to be reversion to the mean at some point, and it was all going to come back. Uh, and we just kept, you know, hold, hanging in there. And again, there was, I mean, some of this was the overperformance, right? You don't expect Honeycutt to do that. You don't expect Glenn Davis to drive in 90 runs in the first half of the season. And then and then he came back to earth and drove in 30 in the second half of the season or something like that. So all that, you know, it all happened in the first half of the season. And then I feel like we kind of hung on and basically held off. The other thing was that it seemed like there was what, seven or eight potential wildcard teams still battling into yeah, September. It, it was a tight so race. Yeah. It, it really suggested that even a 500 team or something close to 500 might, you know, was, was in the mix. So even if we did come back and say, end up, you know, with the low eighties and wins, it still meant we were in the hunt. But I do think we got away with a lot. You know, I think a lot, a couple of guys like Glenn Davis and Rick Honeycutt were the two biggest guys. But I, th I feel like we were, we were really had some guys outperforming their ratings that is not potentially sustainable down the road. And really, right. it was very, very peculiar to this year. Yeah, Luis Aguayo had a career year. Looks like 3.5 war, drove in 72 runs. But then you bring up um, Neat, another sneaky good guy. Sneaky good guy, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was like a he was like a fourth round pick or something, and. Yeah. Didn't I, didn't I, didn't he win like uh, my my worst cleanup hitter, uh, <laughs> yes, and, and yes. then and then he hit twenty one home runs that yeah. year or something like that. Yeah, he got. Well, the that's key. the thing. He's he's like a twenty to twenty five home runs, seventy five RBI guy, and he was a shortstop, which makes him actually a kind of a a bit unusual there. Now I've had to move him to third because of Larkin, but you know well, that must suck. Was... That must suck for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. But the whole idea of Aguayo was if he's my seventh or eighth hitter, that's gonna, um, that means I'm doing really well. Yeah. But if he's my cleanup hitter, not so much. So right, we were exactly. terrible when he was my cleanup hitter. But this coming year, he's probably going to hit seventh. And that right. a good, that's a much better sign for me. Yeah, and he's a pretty dangerous number seven hitter. Yeah, you mentioned Larkin. So you, when did you bring him up? You brought him up the beginning First of, of August. So the last two months of the year, you had Larkin pretty yeah. much full time. Um, and he had a hell of a – like. like he was on so again he only played two months but um two war he put together two war in two months 308 yeah, 352 I mean, on base yeah um 21 steals yeah so so that that how much of a factor was larkin in that in that pennant run then towards the end i think he was pretty huge i mean the guy the guy who had a shortstop i had moved aguayo to no maybe aguayo playing short no that's I right like Aguayo, no, you moved to Rene, yeah, Rene yeah. Gonzalez. Rene right. Gonzalez. So Gonzalez was was a better defender at shortstop than yeah. than Aguayo was, and so I moved him there. But he he was a you know an offensive you know sinkhole basically. So 
bringing Larkin up was a huge difference offensively, and I think it made zero difference defensively. In fact, Larkin's probably a better defender. So that was that was a pretty big move, I think. I think that made a lot of difference coming home. And he and Larkin started out like the first two, the first sim he played, I think he hit 120. But then he really picked it up after that, and and uh, has he's still not fully cooked yet, but he's already shown he can play at the major league level. He's so definitely I think he's, he's just going to get better. He's definitely mostly cooked. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. Rene Gonzalez, his zone rating is 4.8. Larkin is minus 1.5. So despite I think he's an eight. Um, but yeah. maybe that's something where the, you know, it's hard to tell with the fielding stats, maybe the fielding, maybe he'll grow into his ratings. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's, he is a rookie. So maybe he's, um, it, it's just strange to see a minus 1.5. Um, there is some variability and it's a small sample, right? You're talking about, yeah, like, 50, look at what is Larkin? Do you have Larkin's triple A? You have Larkin's triple A, uh, fielding stat in front of you? uh let's see oh, oh yes 13 <laughs> plus 13 zone yeah. rating in 105 yeah. games so yeah yeah so, so there you go. he's gonna come around yeah 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 so there you go but i mean but look at but that's a good example though so could you think about last year right so you called up a kendo you started gonzalez as short and you moved aguayo to third so that's three guys i'm gonna say that's three defensive upgrades and offensive upgrades or new well maybe not offensive i guess you know gonzalez wasn't strictly speaking at uh offensive. Was, or actually he maybe was he was entirely he was almost entirely <laughs> defense actually okay but but i was but if you look back at your team from last year yeah last year 85 i mean 85 you had a solder home at third and i love solder home as a defensive replacement but he's like an absolute zero offensively right? yeah so. and now we, and now he's like 40 years old or whatever so. exactly exactly and you had will fong who i picked up from double a so you had basically a double a player or two double a players if you count solder home so you had like two double a players and aguayo right and now all of a sudden you've got a kendo larkin and aguayo is at a better position for him right so i mean those yeah. are massive just massive upgrades to your team so it's yeah. in a way it's not again it's not i mean it is surprising because as tim said i think the ratings you know you were whatever it is you know 10th or 14th or whatever it was by ratings so so there is outperformance but again the outperformance i think is explain explainable in the sense that your upgrades were as i say you know you had these like just awesome defensive upgrades all around the diamond well and his first baseman was mike was mike ivy and that got upgraded to glenn davis so that that you know he just yeah. shot up 80 rbis or whatever that yeah, is at first so there base you go. As well. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right how many how many rbis did davis have 120 yeah i mean again all in the first half of the year he came crashing back to earth in the second half and ended up just kind of being the. i mean not to go dennis allen on you but he was the guy we thought he was yeah. he ended up kind of putting up the same kind of numbers you'd expect for his ratings but he totally outperformed them in the first half I think yeah, that was huge yeah. to us getting, you know, whatever, nine or 10 games over 500 early in the season. Yep. Well, Mike Ivey a year ago had 32. He, he was basically a full-time player, 150 games, and he had 32 RBIs. I don't even know how that's possible to play 150. <laughs> well, 150 he played on a team. And he played on a team runs. with three double-A <laughs> he had fourth behind three double-A players, dude. That's how. Yeah, so in Glenn Davis, 118. So what is that? It's literally 80. You improved You improved your RBIs by 85 yeah. at, one posi at one position. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, yeah. 
and still Steinbach to come. That's what I'm saying. Oh, and I forgot, not just Steinbach, but uh, Devo, you got Devon White for center, right? So, right, exactly. So, He's still I mean, got a little development to do, but I mean, so does Steinbach, but I'm kind of need to start. I'm going to need to actually start him in the coming year, I think. And he'll be, he'll be fine. Yeah. And he's a better yeah. defensive, better defensive player than whoever the other dude is. Yeah. Oh, it's Alan Ashby. But in fact, Ashby had a really good series against your team in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I was thinking yeah, yeah. if we actually won that, he could have ended up being MVP of that series, which makes zero yeah. sense. Yeah. He's one of those Jim Lemon, you know, random dudes who yep. does something crazy and right. yep. wins the series. Steinbach's definitely on a good uh, glide path. When you drafted him, he was, uh, well, he was the 19th overall pick in 86. He was rated as number 36 prospect. Then midseason, he was number 22, and now he's number 17. So he's moved, he's up in the top, one of the top 20 prospects now. Um, yeah. And a decent defensive catcher, too. He's an eight. Yep. He'll Pretty be seven, 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 five with an eight. So he's potential to be like, you know, top five or six catcher in the league. Yes. We could use that. That's definitely that was one of the black holes of offense that we had, and that and center, you know, center field. We're still working on how to make that work. I mean, Devo might be the long term answer, but yeah, if he cooks, he's a seven contact, six power, and he has exactly nine he does he does center. still have to cook, and he's, yeah. and he's not necessarily close to getting there yet. So, and my record for that is not entirely good in terms of development so we'll see that's true that's true more recent has been good but long term not so much so you have the number 11 pick in the next draft like what do you you, any previews on what you're going to be looking for what both in free agency and in the draft like any uh good question i I haven't even really looked at the at the players in the draft um that's going to be i mean it's going to be what i get more or less like what what the what the first 10 picks give me more or less but um free agency i mean again i'm i'm looking to kind of you know i've got like i said i've got holes at catcher and center field i'm hoping that i have some you know like some developing players that can fill that but if i find something good and realistically when i going into this season going into 86 this did not look like a number 2 pitching staff to me so you know, I could use some bullpen and starting and rotation help too. I mean, the back the back of both of those are are a little suspect. And I lost one of my best relievers uh, late in the season. He's going to miss basically the entire '87 season, so I'm going to need a little help there too. Do you have money to spend? What's your... I do. I've got, but you know, the free agent market has not been very good in the '80s. <laughs> no. No, oh, yeah. you noticed. You noticed. <clears throat> I did notice that because I've had a lot of money in the '80s and nothing to spend it on. I think I, so, I took Bill Parsons one year, even though we were terrible. Um, but I spent like four million on him or something just because I had the money and why not? I needed a top line starter. Right, right. Yeah. Scarcity, right? And, and other teams were bidding on him. So yeah. So here's a question for you. So you had several years, you had a lot of lean years, right? Since that last playoff year in 1980, a string of 85 to 90 in 85 you lost 99 games so kind of like a low watermark and then you improved by 22 games this year so how much does that change your approach going into next year are you going to be looking for like that with that 11th pick are you going to be looking for um well, I guess there's two questions the first one is are, are you like best are you kind of a best available player guy where it gets to that pick and you're like oh I already have Glenn Davis at first base but there's this mashing first baseman and he's the best guy left so i'll take him or are you more kind of like draft for, draft to your needs 
a little bit of both, I'd say. Like, who did I take with? Oh, I, I, this is Larkin this year, right? So Larkin was definitely both, both a best, a best available, yeah. and I really needed him at the position. But the Steinbach pick in the second round was definitely a specific. I, I have a hole to fill there, kind of, kind of pick. And so I'll do a little bit of both. It kind of really depends on on where I'm at and and who's available. So in some cases, if I, there's somebody I really wanted who's going to fill a, a particular need, I'll go right after him. But otherwise, I'll just take the best, you know, the best person out there. So it, it is kind of pick to pick and year to year. It, it's pretty variable. You may be in luck this year because it's a very heavy. Um, there's a lot of third baseman depth this year. Yeah. Um, so and that that aligns with I, I I'm just predicting that with the 11th pick we're going to see really good third basemen going in the at the, at the end of the first round because um, there's just so much so much depth and that's yeah that's not a terrible thing for me that's that would be a it, it although i like aguayo there's there's some upgradable potential there He's so you can not. try me aguayo bro yeah oh, i see uh-huh. <laughs> i see how it is no, what i was going to ask is so back to this thing about potential versus present so, dude, so what if I pondered this? What if Tim had taken Larkin? So then you would have had the choice of Maddox or um, Kalvoski Daniels. I think I'd take Daniels there. Dude, I knew I it. Do. I knew I it. I was thinking, I was really thinking going into the draft, I totally wanted to take someone who was, I mean, I had the idea in my head. All right, I'm bringing up all my prospects. Yep. So I want to have somebody who's yep. pretty close to fully cooked. Yep. And so Daniels would have been the guy, even though I yep. love Maddox and, and, yep. and Maddox fully cooked would be awful. Of course, but, but that's not what we got. Considering yeah. I was, you know, thinking this was on the upswing, I was taking that. And, and Larkin was, I mean, Lark, Larkin was a specific need. He was yeah. middling cooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and he started, I mean, he's, he's been amazing in terms of how quickly he's, you know, yeah. sort of gotten upgrades and stuff too. So, you know, we have, we have Lance on the call right here. How about this? How about we say that Larkin goes to Denver um, <laughs> Daniels goes to San Francisco and Maddox goes to Havana, right? Quick, quick three-way trade. We can, we can sign off on it right here. Oh, you know, it's not I a get... theoretical thing. Cause you're just, no, no, just do that right now. Yeah. 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 Nah, I think I'll stand pat. I think I'm okay. You're, you're standing pat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'll work that deal. If I can get Larkin in that deal, then I'll we'll mix that all around. The other no, way. No, no, no. You misunderstood. Yeah. Denver gets Larkin. San Francisco yeah. gets Kyle Daniels. In yeah. All right. We'll, we'll yeah. discuss that. We'll discuss that offline. We'll work out. Some short, maybe, short. maybe a little yeah, bit. I think cash. it's going to be a short discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts for, you know, next season? Like, do you feel like there's a chance for a repeat of this? I mean, I, mean, I think that, I don't know. It's kind of hard. I think the team's going to be better, but on the other hand, I mean, again, because we outperformed a little bit here, I'm not sure if we can get, if, if our record will be better. And, and of course, you know, there's going to be lots of teams coming up and everybody, everybody's going to be more competitive. So it's hard for me to gauge, but I, I feel like we're going to be a better team, but again, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. So. Right. That's so what you're saying, good, that's not a very like... good answer really. Well, I think I think this the short answer is your team is definitely on the upswing over the next few years. But the, you know, it might be like two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Yeah, right? it totally could. Where, we barely where, made the playoffs this year, so it's I think it's going to be just as challenging going going into eighty seven too. Right, right. 
All right. Well, with that, we're running out of time here. So, Jeff, thanks for coming on. It's been a long time. Uh, it's nice to see you, uh, see your face in on the Zoom box there. And um, it was great to chat with you. And good, all you know, good, good, best of luck in '87. And uh, I'm hoping that Denver can start competing and make it kind of a four-team race. But we'll see if that ever happens. It should be a pretty fun division in the next couple of years. I think so. Yeah, it's kind of like where the golf was a couple of years back, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks, guys. That was fun.